So hello and welcome to those Vicar blokes. I've just had an off off screen rant at Dave, yeah, but we're not gonna has, yeah. a massive rant with lots of with some bad language in that one. Wow, a little bit. Yeah, so I'm Howell the Nerdy Vicar, uh, and you I'm are Dave Coaches. Dave Coaches. And on this episode we'll be talking about the new well, why I don't watch the news, isn't it? Yeah, a little bit about why you don't watch the news and that potentially is bad for us. Yeah. Yeah. It was good. It was oh, good. Yeah. What's good for us? Um, the next bit. The next bit is good for us. Yeah, Easter. Yeah, that's hope. good for us. What's hope. What's hope all about? What's Easter all about? Why? Why? Why was the resurrection important? So we tackle that a bit, and then we look at cults. Cults. We look at a very British cult. Yes. Um, and talk a bit about um, how that's happened and how even intelligent people can be uh, involved in cults. And that's right. Sucked I, in. I did. I did. I did say. What was it now? Uh, comets positivism. So there we go. So even I got a bit sort of intellectual after your sort of bridge into Emmanuel Kant the other week. Yeah, that that's bit, right. Yeah. Yeah. So there we You've go. You've done your own work. Well, I, <laughs> I've done my own work. <laughs> right. So brace yourself for the music and off we go. So hello and welcome to those vicar blokes. I'm Howell, the nerdy vicar. You nearly introduced yourself as Dave Coaches. Then, I did, yeah, yeah, sorry. Yeah, I well, did. I'm Dave Coaches and I'm you are Howell. So if you could try and remember who you are, that'd be really good. <laughs> it's been a long week. It's been a long week. You can see we record this raw, isn't it? Yeah, like, absolutely. Yeah, it's all raw. So we thought, because Dave's on holidays, or been on holidays by the time this has come out, because you're going on holidays, isn't I'm it? I'm going on holiday, yeah, on Easter Monday. So where are you going? I'm going to um where am I going? Dawlish. I'm going to Dawlish, yeah, on the south coast. Oh that's nice. There we go. So busy so I can't ask burglars to burgle your house or anything. Because by the time this comes back you'll be back from holiday, so Well you could ask burglars to burgle my house, but my savage dogs will still be there with my even more savage teenage children. Oh, are you are you leaving your kids on their own in the house? Only not whoa, don't put it like that. The nineteen-year-old and the seventeen-year-old, not the littler ones. I'm just thinking about when my parents used to go away uh, when we were teenagers. They used to go away when I was like seventeen, eighteen, and my my sister was like similar sort of age, and left my uncle Gwyn, who was the responsible adult in the valley, to look after us, which he wasn't responsible, kind of at all. My um, (laughs) my boys are very responsible, and I fully trust them that it'll all be fine. Um, and I don't trust them to water the plants or to load the dishwasher or um, anything like that. But they'll feed the dogs just fine, and they'll they'll not have any wild gatherings or anything. Oh, so be we, right. we we definitely didn't have any wild gather. I think my uncle Gwyn actually arranged a wild gathering one time, um, so that was quite interesting. But he's dead now, so we're all right. So you can't, uh, you know. <laughs> yeah. So he's been dead a long time. He's been dead eighteen years. As my uncle Gwyn, bless his heart, he was a wonderful man. Was Gwyn. And he was good uh, at organising a party. He was very good at all. It was okay. when um, Wales uh, beat England 10-9 was one time where he went away in 1993. And we all watched the match around my house and started drinking, me and my mates. And then they said, who's looking after you? I said, oh, my Uncle Gwyn, he, he'd be here in a minute. And he went to watch the game in town. 
and he came back about oh, I don't know, it's about half ten or something, and he was absolutely wasted. He's meant to look after us. Yeah, because it's so <laughs> rare that Wales beat England. That, it um, was then. That you even yeah. remember the score and everybody had a massive party. It was a famous a famous yeah. victory where Yayan Evans uh, scored under the posts. Right, was, uh, fair yeah. enough. And uh, yeah, it was it was massive. Anyway, so if you if you don't want to burgle Dave's house, that would be great, yeah? Yeah, that would be fantastic. Thanks. You know, with his dogs. So we thought, as Dave's away, we won't be able to predict the news of the future. So we thought we'd have a chat. A lot of people have asked me why I don't watch the news. So, Dave, why do you watch the news? I don't watch the news. Well, I think it's important that that we know what's going on in the world and that we know what's going on in people's lives and we know what what it is that we're speaking into um, as ministers. So I think as ministers, it's probably more important for us to be aware of what's going on and what's influencing people than, than in other walks of life. But I've always been a bit of a news watcher. So you think, it's, is it, am I a bad lad then for not watching the news? I think that some elements of watching the news are really bad for you, but I also don't believe that you live in a complete ignorance to what's going on in the world. So Ah, you've noticed, Evo. You've noticed. I've, I've noticed, yeah. You've noticed that I, I, I genuinely don't watch the news. By somehow, well, what I do actually is I look at the news on my phone, right, on like the BBC headlines and a couple of other ones, just to kind of find out what's happening. And in talking to people around and about, you get the sense of what people are concerned about. And uh, what I do then is I actually go and look up and read and find out about various different stories that are actually happening. Uh, I, yeah, I think that's the more important side of the news because if you take the the surface level stuff, you know, as it used to be the A boards outside the um outside the news agents with the headline on, or you just look at the headline, what you actually get is a falsified picture of what's going on. And you need to do the bit of deep digger digger? Deeper digging in order to find out what what the truth is. And and probably you need to look at more than one perspective. So if you're reading it in the Guardian, then have a look, see what the Daily Mail saying, and vice versa. I don't, I, I don't know about that because what I found really is I used to do that years ago. I used to like think, oh well, I better watch it on different things or go and read it different takes in different papers. But I, th- I think that you actually end up less informed by watching the news because you get sucked into all these psychodramas about all these different things, and you're never really sure whether what you're hearing or seeing is true in any meaningful sense. And I think... Well, I suppose you're right, because what you end up doing is backing somebody who claims to be an expert. Yeah, we've had enough of experts. (laughs) Funnily enough, that's what one of the newspapers said. Um, We've had enough of experts. Who said that? I can't remember. I think it was the... Gove, wasn't it? Was it Gove? I think it was Gove that said it, and and I think it was the Sun that ran with it in a real heavy way and started using it as their tagline. Um, We've had enough of experts. I think I I have, though. I think... I was thinking about this a lot recently. Well, you're an expert on a lot of things. Am I? Yeah, well, so you make out. So. Am I? I don't make so out. I, I'm an expert on it. I, I'm having a week off because I've had <laughs> enough of experts. <laughs> I'm not an expert. 
I suppose I have certain amount of expertise about different things, but I'm not an expert. No, um, it was just a chance for me to have a go at you. Yeah, I thought so. Yeah, yeah. that was. Yeah, thank you for that. Yeah, I think. Um, I think the thing that bothers me more than anything else is, and I think I seen this a couple of weeks ago. Uh, it'll be a couple of weeks ago now when uh, Donald Trump was arraigned in uh, in New York. Do you remember that? It was when he got yeah, he got yeah. arrested, didn't he? And I thought, just for a laugh, what I'd do is I'd watch a clip from CNN, a clip from MSNBC, and a clip from Fox News, right? Yeah. About it. And I had one reality from CNN and MSNBC, yeah. right? Who basically said that um, that Trump was the head of a... Christian nationalist organization that was looking to destroy American democracy and thought he was above the law. And it was really important that he was prosecuted because then that would show that uh, they couldn't take over the country, right? Yeah. And then I watched Fox News and they said that it was really important that he wasn't prosecuted because it was all a coup d'etat by the deep state against Donald Trump um, and it was a real danger to their democracy so it wasn't just they had different ideas or opinions or anything it was like there was two completely different realities and I think our news is is a bit like that sometimes where you listen to things and it's obviously not true yeah well, and it's quite just interesting because, all the time because for years you you would have trusted the bbc to give you a, a, ba- a balanced news view and i think they still try to i think they still try to hold to that hmm. but what they end up doing is putting two people pitted against each other so instead of giving you sort of a balanced view and somebody summarizing two sides perhaps they just end up with two people arguing about what is truth yeah, that's basically what it is. So you end up with two people who live in separate realities who are talking to each other but not listening to each other and holding on to these separate realities. Yeah. It, it's a bit like... Um, have you ever talked to like a biblical fundamentalist? Yeah, several times. Yeah, and you know you're talking to them and it's just a waste of time. Yeah, because they don't no, listen. Oh, you don't. They I, don't listen to what you've got to say. Wow. I some sometimes I think that that's some of that is like planting a seed in no, their but, minds that might germinate beyond your control. Possibly, but what I mean is, is that it, it, and it's the same. I think when you talk to like a big atheist or something, it's just in a way it's important to talk to them and be present with them and be curious about them. That is important, but it, you do feel like you're working with. A person who has a alternative, not view, but alternative facts about the universe. Yeah. Do you see what I mean? Yeah. So yeah. You, you don't actually know. It's almost as if, because you don't agree, this isn't so much with biblical fundamentalists, but with the, the two people, say, in the BBC who pitted against each other, their fundamental assumptions about what truth is are completely different. So, and how you get to truth, they disagree with. So, therefore, they inhabit two different realities. Yeah, I think that's very true. 
and then and then you don't watch it because that doesn't help you to actually form a decent opinion, does it? Well, it doesn't help me uh, understand what's going on. It actually, I think, obscures what's happening in the world. I yeah. think it, I think it's sort of yeah, it, it stops me understanding things, and and the things we have to understand are so complex that it just doesn't help. I, I, I've i just drawn a picture in my mind Yeah. Of, of a car driving along a road and what that news thing from bouncing from one to the other does is make the car swerve from one side to the other side um, in a really uncontrolled fashion instead of driving in a straight line staying in its own lane. Yeah, yeah, that's true, actually. And I, and I think it's sort of... I think it's really dangerous. Like, I am quite worried about America just not not for any other reason other than how can a country exist where they fundamentally cannot agree on um reality and the nature of reality i i don't think i don't think they can and i think that it is this it's a bit like you know when you sometimes you come across a family like through like baptisms, weddings, or funerals, yeah. and there's a fallout. And yeah. you talk to one side of the family, and it's all the other person's fault. Oh yeah, And they're completely yeah. paranoid. And then you talk to the other person, and they're exactly the same, but the other way around. Yeah. So that's why I get, I'm just saying, going like, this is just... And I think we're getting a bit like that. I don't know if you worry about that. I do worry about that. I worry a bit more about this country than I do about America, because I think we're only three or four years behind on our polarisation of views. And I think you touched on it uh, a couple of weeks ago where um, where whatever one side says, you have to be against it. Even if you know that what you're saying is a little bit ridiculous, you still have to make that argument because we become so polarised in it. I think, yeah, I, I think the thing that... One of the things that really uh, set me on this track, really, was... We, well, I lived in Drayton, which isn't very far away from Telford. Yes, we used to go shopping in Telford all the time. Yeah. yeah. And for years, the the far right would turn up in Telford now and again, not a lot, right? Yeah. And would kick off about the grooming gangs. Yeah. And you'd never see anything on the paper about it or in the telly about it. And I used to think, oh, it's the far right. They're just being awful as usual. Yeah. Didn't take any notice. And I didn't, be, I didn't look into it or, or think about it because I didn't want to be associated with those sorts of people. No, Just that makes I mean. sense. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I didn't, but actually, there there were all these grooming gangs happening, and and the only people who were willing to talk about it were these far right head cases. But were they rife in Telford? Why, no, no, why no, did they, they pick on Telford? Well, because that's where one of the centres of the grooming scandals were. So they used to come from all over the place to have these... They weren't Telford people. Some of the people there were Telford I people. I only remember places beginning with R that were associated with it, because it's Rochdale and Rotherham, wasn't it? Oh, there's, the there's loads. Years, there's, um, there was, I came across it uh, when I was a curate in Blackburn, uh, Black, Blackburn Diocese in Blackpool. Is yeah. um, I think it was our Mother's Union. I can't remember now. It's like nearly 20 years ago. But... Basically, there there were these grooming gangs in in Blackpool, yeah, and they were holding girls up in above like um, sort of chip shops and things on yeah. the seafront, and the cops were raiding them, and then they would bring them to our church as a kind of 
place for him to have a cup of tea and oh, right, be okay. looked after and yeah. that, yeah? And then they took him somewhere else. So it's not a new thing. No, no. The story of that's been about for a long time. Yeah. Um, it resurfaced uh, in the news recently, but it's uh, a resurface of the same thing. Um, but that's why I don't... I think that's the thing. Is That's why I don't but, watch the news. Um, it's, it's interesting, because even on that same thing, there was a debate about, you know, all of these sexual offences are committed by um, Asian males. Um, and, and they account for about 8% of all of the offences um, of a sexual nature against um, teenage girls. So actually, um, but it's like, the rest of yeah. it is, is, is not by Asian males at all. But it's the representation of those stories, you know. But it's lies, damn lies and statistics, isn't it? Yeah, what we're, what we're left is, is a, with is a fundamental problem, though, that, that does need some action against it, you know. But what frightens me with things, really, is that because we're becoming more polarised, that's just a symptom, really, of a deeper polarisation, is that people won't look into issues, they won't deal with issues, they won't talk about different issues, whatever they are, because they become part of that polarisation. Yeah. So it's a bit like... Um, see, all this is happening in Drayton is in uh, rural areas like uh, Shropshire, they have these massive caravan parks, right? Caravan. With caravans. Oh. Not like your caravan, now, static caravans, no. right? And they're full of people who are working on for the agricultural agencies. Yeah. Because people don't tend to work on farms that are employed by them. They use agency workers. Yeah. And people who complain about it and say, oh, this isn't fair, or these people are being exploited or whatever, and nobody would care about it. Nobody would do anything about it. No. Because people would say, oh, you're just being racist. You just, do you, do you see what I mean? Yeah. So it's all a bit, that's why I don't watch the news. Because nope. it's really hard. Fair enough. Do you see what I mean? Well, you don't, you continue to not watch the news because actually that enables us to talk about it on the podcast. <laughs> so that's good. <laughs> all my news stories. Yeah. So, and I, I think, I think more than anything else, I think, is it's for my own spiritual well being. Because I don't trust myself not to get sucked into it. No, I if think I'm that honest, makes a lot of sense. I'm not. I'm not spiritually strong enough not to be drawn down. I. I think either side, probably the. I don't know either side really. I think, and it, it's really seductive to be drawn down either of those polarised camps. Oh, yeah, but they're, they're yeah. made to be seductive, aren't they? So, yeah, you're absolutely right. And I'm not. I'm not. So you're stronger as a Christian than me because you can resist that temptation. Well, I don't know that's necessarily true. I think I find myself swerving all across that road, but that's... Well, I've seen your Twitter feed. <laughs> yeah, that's true, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but that's the thing. But, yeah, that's why... We can continue to talk about the news as we go along, but um, that's why I try try to be informed, but not by um, not by the but not by the news, but by other other things. Yeah, and don't be without hope because we're going to be talking about hope in the next part. Yeah. You're listening to those Vicar blokes. We hope you're enjoying our podcast. If you are, click follow, subscribe on whatever platform you're on or find us on the Froomside Benefits or the Yeti Parish website. And, and if you're not enjoying it, 
don't worry about it. Just subscribe anyway. That... Just subscribe anyway. Yeah, get our numbers up. Yeah, that was your joke. That was your joke. Yeah, tell, wait, tell, wait. tell your friends to listen. Tell your Either friends. how good it is or how bad it is. So in this part, we are going to be talking about Easter, specifically Easter Sunday, um, the resurrection and why that's important and how that affects us now today and it's an octave we do it's an, an octave. octave yeah it's a musical thing isn't it an octave no no an octave is a festival like christmas and easter have octaves well no octave's an eight thing yeah no, it's not eight yeah it? what, what you do right if you've got um a major festival like christmas and easter is that you celebrate christmas and easter every day for eight days yeah. So you well, have, yeah, you, all right, so, yeah. yeah. So, so we started on Palm Sunday and we end on Easter no, Sunday. No, no, no. You, start, days, on, you not, start on Easter Sunday and it goes through to Low Sunday, which is the end of the yeah, octave. But Christmas isn't eight days; it's twelve. No, the Easter, the Christmas octave is eight days. Yeah, I think this is a Roman Catholic thing. No, it's not a Roman Catholic thing. We used to do it in Murfield in proper training colleges in a Roman Catholic training. That college. was not a Roman Catholic oh, training college. May as well have been. Oh. Anyway, right, that's what you do. So if you are You need in... to read that book over there on your shelf again. Why I'm still an Anglican. Oh that's yeah, yeah. That's, yeah. well yeah. But that, yeah. I've got one that's entitled Why I'm Not a Roman Catholic. Have you? Well yeah. I'm not a Roman Catholic. I'm just saying. That's... Anyway, right, so it's an octave. So Easter. What what obviously we know the story of Easter where Jesus dies and rises Bunnies, again. Chocolate eggs. Uh, yeah, okay. Well why do we have eggs at Easter? Wow, yeah, what a, good, yeah, really good question. That um, we have chocolate eggs because they're nicer than normal eggs. Um, but we, <laughs> but the reason we have eggs is because the egg is a symbol of new life. You know, from inside that egg comes a new life. You crack the egg, and yeah. new life appears, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Crack the and egg. Out, out comes the, uh, out comes the the chip, the new life. That's it. So that's why the Easter chick and things, but but that is the breaking of the tomb, so that the Easter egg symbolises the yeah, tomb that's broken. Yeah. And so, why is Easter important then? You know, not just chocolate. Well, Easter is important because it marks the transformation in humanity's relationship with God. Um, you know, in, in Jesus rising from the tomb, he not only gives himself new life in in that sense; he gives us all new life. We we participate in the new life in him and the relationship with God that had been damaged over the millennia leading up to that point is restored and not only restored for his chosen people, but for the whole of humanity. So it's a bit like, in a sense, a prequel or preview of what's going to happen to us. It's the act that enables it to happen for us. Yeah. So when we see Jesus risen from the dead, that's actually what's going to happen to us. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So that's why it's our hope, because Jesus reveals the resurrection uh, as a thing by raising himself from the dead. Yeah, I think it needs some of the ascension as well. But yeah, fundamentally, it, it's the act of resurre resurrection that causes that for us. And, and that's the hope that we have as Christians, that um, death is not the end. Death yeah. is defeated, and we're all we're all united in the eternal kingdom. 
So, for that then, why don't people recognise Jesus in the resurrection stories? That's the weird thing, isn't what it? What do you mean, why don't people recognise well, Jesus? Well, he, he turns up and oh, no one knows like who he is. Oh, you mean like the road to Emmaus? And the, yeah, 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 and uh, all of them. Nobody knows who he is. He sort of like turns up and then it was like, who's that? And then well, sort of... it could be two reasons for that, I suppose. Um, one, he's out of context. Because if you look at the road to Emmaus, they'd lost hope because they'd seen him crucified and they didn't understand any of these atonement theories we talked about last week and they didn't understand that he would rise again. I mean, some people knew he'd rise again. We've got, we have the story of the raising of Lazarus where, um, I forget if it was Mary or Martha who'd said to him, oh, I understand that, that in the resurrection, you know, that we'll all be resurrected in the time to come and didn't think that Jesus was talking about raising a brother from the dead at that very moment. Um, but most people didn't understand that. So they've given up. The person they followed, they'd given up and they were on their way home. So you think so, it's despair. It's despair I, that yeah. has, it's prevented them Des- recognising Jesus. Yeah, they were despondent, I suppose. Um, uh, but then there are actions that then make them recognise him. You know, They still hang on the every word of this person they're walking with. They still recognise him in the breaking of the bread. Um, so you think it's to do with recognizing the meeting the risen Jesus and recognizing that actually what's happened—that's the thing. Yeah, yeah, it's it's, it's recognizing the truth of what's happened, um, and having hope restored in the moment of that acknowledgement of what's happened. And it's despair and depression and all those sorts of things that prevent. Um, the disciples from recognizing the risen Jesus. Yeah. Okay. Do you think, though, that the other thing is we can recognize Jesus today in the same way? I think uh, uh, blessed are those who have not seen but still believe was the line to Thomas, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, I think we can still recognise Jesus in the same way. I think that my fundamental belief would be that we're all made in the image of God and therefore we can recognise Jesus' presence with um, each and every person if they choose to be showing Jesus. Have you ever met anyone live. who's like a bit holy and stuff and they, they shine out? You mean bit. other than you? Yeah, other than me. What, yeah. Proper shiny people. Proper shiny people, um, yeah. Who are yeah, I would, yeah, I would say I have, yeah. Um, it's funny, isn't it? Because you y- y- you look at those that are called to ministry, and you would hope they would all be like that. And it's not it's not reality because that was I a maniacal laugh. That was well, then, yeah. <laughs> I don't don't you know? You'd hope that there are elements of that in all of us, and all of us have. Well, you know, we try but, our best. But that proper shiny bit, I'm not I'm not sure that's. Uh, that's widespread. I've met. Well, I think that's the thing. They stand out, don't they? They do stand out, yeah. And maybe, some, maybe sometimes we're a bit more shiny than others. Yeah, yeah. I think that's true. I think we are. We can be prone to being shiny or not shiny at different periods because, um, because we're humans. Yeah, yeah. But I think, I think the road to Emmaus story. I'll just go through it. For people who aren't familiar with it is where there's two disciples. A bit of a spoiler alert because it comes up in the readings in about three weeks' time. Yes, yeah, second, third Sunday of Easter, isn't it? Yeah. Is the um, the disciples are walking towards a place called Emmaus, which is about I think it's about twenty miles away from Jerusalem, and they meet this guy and they're talking to him all day as they are on the road, 
and as they're walking along, he explains to them why the Messiah had to suffer and die and then rise on the third day. They get to Emmaus, and he's going to leave them, and they say to him, oh no, come and have a meal with us. And then they have a meal together, he breaks the bread, and then they go, oh, it's Jesus. And they recognize him, and then he disappears. Yeah. Now, I love that story, because then they say the wonderful words of, didn't our hearts burn within us as we walk down the road? Yeah. And I I think that sometimes in worship, uh, we can have that same experience where our hearts burn within us as we walk down the road, as we're in worship, or when we're in given situations. I suppose we would call it awe and wonder, perhaps. We might not necessarily. No, I think I've had that. that way, I but think, yeah, I think I have. But yeah, but I, I wouldn't, <clears throat> I wouldn't necessarily describe it so poetically as they did. Well, maybe no, but I think also as well we have um, other people like John Wesley describes it in uh, Old Gate Sunday, isn't it, where he has that same experience, and yeah. I think I think that's why the resurrection is important, not because it's an historical event. Um, but because it's something that we can and do experience today in worship, in our um, relationships with each other, in our church, where we can be part of the resurrection. By you know, Last week I was talking about the chains of injustice that form these yeah. vicious circles. Is that in breaking those chains of injustice today, we can experience that sense of the resurrection in the here and now. I thought you were going to go in the direction of the uh, we can become chains of love and peace and hope or something like that. No. Something flowery and no. poetic. And no, 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 nothing no. like that. No. It's, it's more, you're too nerdy and not creative enough, but, you know. I'm just too aggressive, really. But like if, that. That, if that image works for you, <laughs> keep it. I think, I think though, it's a bit like that thing in Christmas, getting back to Christmas after last week, um, the Christmas episodes of uh, the cleaner is at Christmas we have that wonderful image in the Christmas carol where Scrooge is chained up isn't he? Yeah. And I think that's the thing is that in recognising the risen Jesus our chains are broken and we are set free and you know my chains fell off my heart was free because oh my god you found out me isn't it? That's the Wesley hymn. Yeah the Wesley hymn. Oh there's also a, a really good version of Amazing Grace that has a an additional chorus that's very similar to that. Yeah. And my I think, chains are gone, I've been set free. I think that's For what... For God, my Saviour has ransomed me. That's it, yeah. yeah. And I think that that thing where the resurrection is important because we can meet Jesus today in each other, in worship, in the same way that the disciples met him um, 2,000 years ago. Yeah. Like St. Paul met the risen Jesus, didn't he? Well, St. Paul had quite a... A fundamental experience with uh, the risen Jesus, didn't he? But I don't uh, think, but I don't think the experience is actually the important bit. And I think that's one of my sort of bugbears. If you go, oh, a lovely worship experience, that isn't important. What's important is where that experience takes you. How were you transformed by that lovely worship experience? I yeah, that's my question. That's it. What difference is it going to make on your life? Yeah, it's like the disciples in the road to Emmaus. They run back to Jerusalem, don't they, and 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 say that they've met the risen Jesus and and that it transforms yeah, their life. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's they can't just... wait. They can't wait to get back. They can't wait to say, "No, hang on, we've got this all wrong. This has happened. 
he's he's alive he's alive and that's the the real message there that you know yeah it I, wasn't the end there is hope and i think it's to do with how that hope affects us is i think one one thing that covid taught us was i can't i don't think we should get over covid and think i think it's it we should always remember it in a positive way that's um, very difficult because there's so much negative thought about covid um even when we talk polarization of the news you know no that's true but what i mean by it in a positive way is we should in a sense a bit like an alcoholic should always remember that he was an alcoholic if you see what i mean yeah we should remember it as a mistake that um yeah we should remember it in that way to make sure we don't make that same mistakes again and i think that one thing that really struck me is the fear of death was so intense in COVID that rather than setting us free, like people said, if you don't believe in God, you can be free because you can do what you want and you can yeah. have as much sex as you want and you can do what you want and you can be free of all these silly things, yeah. right? Is what actually happens is that you end up being terrified of death because this is all there is. So rather than live in a risky life of running around being yourself and being wonderful in a kind of 1960s way you hide yourself away in a house and cower in a corner yeah yeah i mean that that's long been my criticism because obviously it was it was three years ago it was at the height of it and when and we lost easter um in 2020 as a result of covid and my main criticism is that we lost hope in the resurrection we forgot to say to people during that COVID period, death's going to happen, but death's not the end um, because Jesus died and was resurrected and, and, and has given us new life in him um, in an eternal kingdom. And yeah. we forgot that. We we didn't preach it for an Easter. Um, well, well, that's what I said. You know. I think I did. I don't know. I, I did because we, we were... Our, our uh, old sermons are still up and this year it's Matthew's Gospel, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And three years ago it was Matthew's Gospel as well. So I thought, oh, because we um, recorded the sermons and things, I could look back to see what I said. And I did. And basically I said, do not be afraid, because that's what Jesus says Yeah. when he's resurrected. And the angel says when he's resurrected. And I think that the resurrection gives us that release from fear and i think we we should have i did say in my sermon do not be afraid i did focus on that but i think while you were using hand sanitizer and preaching with a mask on from the (laughs) safety of your own home having just wiped down all of your shopping with a I wasn't that bad. I wasn't. I I didn't go total. I I, I did. I did. I did go COVID psycho for about uh, about half an hour right to the beginning. No, we used to leave our shopping in the vestibule of our house overnight. Oh, yeah. No, I did go mad for it for about about an hour when we were in town. Uh, We were walking around town and it was just before the lockdown. And it was really funny because. My wife went to put the um, her pin number into the pin machine, yeah. right? And I was getting so worried. And when I guess went, don't touch it, don't touch it. Everyone's touched it, don't touch it. Yeah. And I went, because I, I was trained in sort of what's called the aseptic technique, which is like how to sterilize things and stuff yeah. like that. I started seeing the whole world as a kind of um, biohazard. 
Yeah. And then I thought to myself after I shouted at her not to touch the pin number, I thought, actually, you can't turn the whole yeah. world into a biohazard. Don't facility. press one, two, three, four. Everybody's pressed those buttons. That's everybody's <laughs> pin number. That's everyone's pin number. But I think I think that's the thing with the resurrection is it is that thing, do not be afraid. And I think that confidence in the hope of eternity actually enables us to live our lives better today. Yeah. So that lie that, you know, secularists say that, you know, there is no God, so get on and have a good time. That actually, what COVID showed more than anything else is that the lack of faith in eternity doesn't set us free. It puts us in chains. Yeah. And that's literally what it, what it did. Yeah, so, absolutely. Hooray for the resurrection. And let's not make that mistake again. Yeah. Amen. So thanks for listening to those Vicar Blokes. You can give us a rating. I don't know if you knew about that. A Dave. rating? Yeah, you can rate us. Give us five stars. On... Uh, what's that out of? 15? No, f- a five out of five. Five out of five. Oh, yeah, that'd be nice. Yeah, so give us a rating as well as subscribing on like Apple and on like Google Podcasts. You can do that. Can I? Yeah, you got a lot. I'm going to give us five stars. I'm you just going to go and permanently it. five stars. Yeah. Yeah, so that should be good. So follow us on uh, all the different platforms. Or search on Google, those Vicar blokes. So we're looking at a programme um, called A Very British Cult. But I didn't start from a programme point of view. I sent it to Howell as a news story that we might want to think about. Because um, it was on the BBC and it was about a story about um, a life coaching organisation that... Uh, that became like a cult and was taking tens of thousands of pounds of people's money in order to try and make their lives better and to make them achieve their goals. Um, but when I sent it to Howell, he watched half of the documentary instead, um, which is quite good. Yeah, I watched half of it. It was a kind of standard documentary about these guys investigating different people and talking to them about what they were doing uh, in this sort of well, it's, it's one of those typical BBC things, isn't it? Really, yeah, it is. where they where they spend eighteen months investigating something, and I'm left screaming. So why did you not tell us eighteen months ago and save several people, several tens of thousands of pounds? Um, but then that wouldn't make for such a good documentary. No, no. And, uh, so it, I saw it on the news because they were promoting the documentary, in effect. Yeah, it was quite interesting. The bits of the documentary I watched, I watched the end of it actually. It was quite interesting. Basically, what they were doing was they were these guys and they had like a book club, right? And then people would join an online book club uh, reading this book that this guy had written who was a kind of success person. So it's a kind of funny sort of cult. It's not a religious cult. Well, it is really, but it's not a kind of Christian or kind of whatever cult. It's a kind of cult of success. Well, yeah. Yeah. So it is religious, really, I would say. Kind of the, the, the sinful side of ambition. Um, lead into uh, a false hope, I would say. Yeah, the way is. that I read the story. Yeah, it is. It's all to do with this idea that we can train you to be a successful person, and they had these four levels, right, of progress. So you had level one, which is like a kid, a child. Then you had level two, which is like a kind of religious person. Level three is a scientific, skeptical person, and level four is the cult leader. 
who's reached kind of the pinnacle of his ultimate awareness. It's very 1970s. Yeah. It's like those, oh, what were they called now? Um, they were these sort of like seminars that people would go to, if anyone can remember what they were called. Eclipse or something it was. Well, they were all based on existentialism, where they would go to these seminars and be like shouted at by these therapists for ages, and they would empty themselves out of everything and then become the person that they wanted yeah, to be. Yeah, but that's what the the premise of that. Oh, what's his name? The guy who's just gone back to house arrest. Um, Andrew Tate. Yeah, that was in effect what he did, wasn't it? That was his. Yeah, his bag really was. Yeah, to, it was to also... make people as successful as me by by doing these things that I do, and I'm going to charge you loads of money to teach you how to do them. Yeah, that's it. It's exactly the same thing as what Andrew Tate was doing, except this guy didn't have a sword, which I thought made him less cool. Than made Andrew him less Tate. cool, yeah, yeah, definitely less cool. But but to be fair, Andrew Tate <laughs> has done some really uncool stuff. Yeah, um, if if uh, if if he eventually gets found guilty, he's done them. If he gets found not guilty, then obviously he's been. Accused of, you know, the Matrix has got him because I don't want him to sue me. The Matrix has got him, that's what it is. And you know, he was released on the same day that the Matrix was released. (gasps) That's not a coincidence. See, the Matrix has got him. Clearly not a coincidence. But I I thought this thing was interesting, this cult thing, because um, they used to be on these calls for like eight hours and they used to transcribe everything that the cult leader said. Yeah. It was really yeah, weird. Yeah, I saw the man on BBC Breakfast saying that's what he did. It was you know, really and it was weird. only when they were telling him to leave his wife and his wife overheard that um that, that she raised the the flag about it, which I thought was a bit strange. My missus would kill me if I spent eight hours on the phone like that. It, was oh, it depends if they phoned me or if I phoned them, but when she saw that the money had gone out of the bank account, <laughs> there's going to be a lot of trouble. <laughs> your missus playing up. Your phone bill's massive. What yeah. are you doing? No, but I think it's... I think what was interesting, a lot of them kept on saying, how can intelligent people fall for this? And a lot of the people, like the families of these cult members, they were saying, oh, they're an intelligent person. How come they got sucked into it? And I thought, well, being intelligent isn't going to... uh, Oh, here we are. uh, Being intelligent isn't... uh... Just for everybody else, (laughs) I've got my phone on vibrate, (laughs) and it's looking at both of us, and... um... That's... And when my wife listens to this in two weeks' time, she'll know she's just rang partway through the podcast. Yeah, she did. There we are. She heard you talking about her, see, saying complaining about the phone bill. That's what it was. Oh, I said no such thing. Oh, no. But I guess, um, what was all of it? She's interrupted. I've lost my thought now. Yes, it. Intelligence. Intelligence. They kept on saying, well, how can intelligent people fall for it? But I don't think that's a factor. I don't think being clever or intelligent stops you falling for these things at all. No, I don't think it does. But I don't understand why it doesn't, but it doesn't. Well, it's it's the it's the salvation story of uh, the BBC and the secularists is that only thick people believe in God. So if you're clever, you won't fall for any of it. It's that idea that as basically this idea of progress, right, is that in the past we were like tribal, so we were dumb, so we believed in all sorts of silly gods. Then we got the polytheists, like the Greeks, they were a bit cleverer. Yeah. Right? Then we had the monotheists, which are like kind of a yeah. bit less. And then we get the Protestants, who were kind of believed in God, but they were a bit rational, but they weren't quite as dumb as the other ones. And then finally, at the top of the tier, we have science, um, which shows that there, there is no God and we're all really clever. Yeah. It's um, it's 
comet's um, hierarchy of positivism. So yeah, that's why that's why they think that. So is it that these leaders of the cults have become a false god? Yeah, basically they don't claim to be god, do they? Well, I think they. Um, they but act then they, like at one. the same time, they claim that God was irrelevant. Yeah. Except those that are religious cults, in which case they claim to be the key to God in a way that is not accessible to those lower down the chain. That's it. It's all the same thing. Is that the cult leader is the is the way into the God of money or the you know enlightenment or whatever it is, or to get loads of women if you're yeah. take like whatever whatever the thing is like. Do you see what I mean? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. But I do think, well, I do think what is clear is that there's a hunger out there for, and this came through in quite a lot of the interviews, a hunger for something bigger than myself. And I think the church is missing a trick because we don't actually speak into that void effectively enough, I think, sometimes. I think it's true that we don't speak into the void effectively enough, but I'm always wary that um, we shouldn't be trying to use the same tricks that are being used by those promoting false gods. Um, Do you know what I think it is? I think in some ways we're just not proud of ourselves enough. I, I, think, I think that could well be true. I think we spend... Like these cult leader guys, right? They're full of confidence and they really believe in what they're selling. And I think we do in the church. We do genuinely, deep down, really believe in what we say, I think, right? But I think we're so embarrassed about it. Every sale in modern society is based on on some form of trickery and deception or or on convincing people that they really, 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 really need it. And I think people really, really, really do need God. Mm. Um, but, But we're not confident in our sales technique. We're just... I think we're actually... In some ways, we shouldn't need a sales technique. Though. No, I think it's I think it's deeper than that. Though is, I think our society tells us we should be ashamed of who we are, and I think sometimes in the church we've internalised that shame, and we think that we're rubbish because we're Christian because that's what we're told. Yeah, a bit like if we talk to older gay people, right? Not so much the younger ones now, but people who were around. When it was, this shameful. is a dangerous road to go down. No, it's not. All right, right. No, it's not. It's not. All right. No, I'll, let, I'll right, let you yeah. finish what you're saying. Yeah. Right. If we talk to them, right, what they'll say is that because it was seen by society as so shameful. Yeah. Right. That they, even though they knew it wasn't shameful, right, yeah, they internalized those feelings of shame. Yeah. Right. And uh, you see that as well with in class, don't you? With working class people, they internalise, or we internalise, those feelings that we're not good enough, we're rubbish, and so on. And that actually then holds us back. And I Yeah, think, I think you're right. I think it's the same with, with, with Christians, is that we've, we've internalised these negative stories about ourselves, and we've lost our, our joy sometimes in who we are, and I think we've lost that pride in good pride in, in yeah what, yeah yeah i think so you know um i'll say this right D- martin don't take this out right yeah martin don't take this out is in bristol we talk a lot about the slave trade which is good because it didn't used to yeah right but we don't talk about john wesley enough 
and we don't talk about the abolitionist movement enough because we've been made to feel ashamed. And I think that the abolitionist movement is one of the greatest, most amazing movements that have ever occurred in human history. So you think we carry the shame for what happened without carrying the pride for standing up against it? Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. I think I we, we've that. forgotten it. We, yeah, so if you talk to people and said, what's Christianity's impact in slavery, right? Basically, a lot of people now would say, oh, yeah, it was the Christians. They enslaved everybody. Yeah, they enslaved everybody but without we, recognizing the fact that they also attempted to free everybody at the same time. Well, in response. Yeah. Yeah. So it's kind of like it, it's, we've internalized that. So we carry guilt and shame. We carry guilt and shame, and we don't recognise that Jesus Christ set us free from that. Anyway. No, and I think I think that shame is is used as a form of oppression, and I think if somebody's trying to make you feel ashamed in that way of who you are for what you are, I think that's a deep form of oppression, and we should we should resist it. I think we're back to Matt Hancock, aren't we? Grace and forgiveness. Yeah. We're back to grace and forgiveness. That's right. Is it, And Jesus, in his ministry, never never made people feel ashamed in that way. He never came up to someone and said, you're rubbish, you're bad. He always said, you could be better. Well, yeah. He, he did always say you could be better. And he, did, and he did point out that it's so easy to point at other people's guilt and shame um, without recognising that we ourselves carry faults and are broken but um but actually he's he's there for us anyway yeah so that's um our take on the what's it called a very british cult and that's me sort of getting myself into trouble um, yeah but, well i didn't so yeah, you know, okay any complaints any complaints uh, direct Howell, them, direct it, yeah okay thank you um so we'll see what happens with that one so we'll See you next time where we'll we don't know what we'll be talking about. It'll be the news no. and some questions and Dave will be back from his holidays. Yeah.